could ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3 as we continue on. And like I said last week, there's light at the end of the tunnel, but I, this has been a real profitable study, I think. It's, it's just so um, relevant to the time that we're living in. It just shows the transcendent majesty of God's Word, all oh, written all those thousands of years ago, very relevant for today and, and um, needed, absolutely, uh, as it transcends time. This is His holy Word, because times have changed, but we're still the same. People are people. Sinners are sinners. <laughs> God's, words address, God's word addresses that. Uh, but turns a little corner today in Malachi. Now, as he's been rebuking the, the sinfulness of the so-called people of God, you know, here's what you're supposed to be doing as the people of God. Here's what you're actually doing, and you need to turn and repent to the Lord. Now he turns and he encourages the, the faithful remnant, because God always has a remnant, doesn't he? He always has his people within, like the people of God, right? So let's look at Malachi chapter 3, uh, just a couple of verses this morning, three sixteen through 18. He says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention, and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we do thank you and praise you and just come before your throne of grace and just ask for, uh, Lord God, the leading and guidance and power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We know our, our failures, our inadequacies, Lord, even to receive your word, to bring forth your word. I pray that you would be with all of us, Lord, this morning and give us ears to hear, Lord God, minds to comprehend and hearts to receive your word, Lord God, that we would be challenged, that we would be uh, confronted where we need to be, Lord God, comforted where we need to be, Lord God, encouraged always in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would be with me as well, Lord God, as bring forth your word. I'm well aware of uh, my limitations and, and inadequacies, and yet you are righteous and holy and perfect God. So look to you and lean on your spirit, Lord God, to bring forth your message for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, praise God. So this is God's true people among the the, the people of God, the, the mass of God. True believers among professing believers, and that's always difficult because if somebody professes faith, we want to give them the benefit of the doubt. We try not to judge. We don't want to look at their hearts. But man, that's kind of a, a really tough place to be because uh, there's a clear distinction between unbelievers and believers, those who trust in the Lord, and that's good. But when you have that mixed multitude, it's always hard. And as, as a pastor, that's one of the, and you know this if you've been with us for any amount of time, the thing that keeps me up at night regarding the, the congregation and, and the Christians who profess Christ is that on that day, you don't stand before him and say, Lord, didn't I go to church? Lord, didn't I read my Bible? Lord, didn't I do this? And he turned to you and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because there's professing Christians and then those who are truly converted. And we've been seeing that throughout Malachi. 
The faithful ones, when so many around them have drifted, where that that flame has flickered or even has been extinguished, they're not really following the Lord anymore. We see that all around us today. People who are deconstructing their faith or... um, you know, progressive Christianity, they're, they're re-examining their faith, they're building a, a new faith up, and, and it's, it's just so difficult to see. So many are just filled with the superficial religiosity, compromise in their walk with the Lord, a desire to be accepted by the world. It's a big deal. It's a big pull on all of us. It's a big tug. We want to be accepted. We don't want to seem like the oddballs, of the ones that are out there. It's tough. And so many of us fall into that. We're worship. You come to worship in a, a half-hearted way. Obedience is optional. Yes, I'll obey here, but not over here because that's what I really like. You know, it's easy to obey in areas where you agree, but it's tough when, you know, it's actually God's telling you that you have to sacrifice in that way. Sacrifice is minimal. So we look around us, even today, like in the day of Malachi, and there's the faithful ones. And again, when I talk about the faithful ones, it's only by God's grace this isn't up here like the holier than now kind of. It's only by the grace of God that he keeps us faithful. It's so humbling as a matter of fact. So this isn't, you know, uh, coming off as a holier than now kind of sermon in that way. It's only by the grace of God that we go. But we do look around and we see just a shallow kind of syncretistic Christianity today, right? We're borrowing at least not necessarily, well, in some cases, borrowing from other religions and bringing them into to Christianity, but borrowing from the world and psychology and bringing it into the faith, man. And we're, we're kind of leaving the purity of the word behind. We can't be doing that. But we see that all around us. It's a cultural Christianity. And too many professing Christians are welcoming, much like the spirit of Malachi's day, are welcoming and embracing the world instead of impacting the world with the gospel by being faithful frustrating, isn't it, at times? But we see it all around us. Now, you guys know one of my offices, since we don't have a church building, my favorite office is Barnes & Noble at South Hills Village <coughs> at, the, at the little Starbucks there. But right across from where I sit is the, is the religious section or the, you know, the so-called Christian book section. And, and that's a discouragement. There are some good titles. You know, they have Vody there, one book from Vody and uh, C.S. Lewis. They some titles that are pretty good. But man, when you look at it, it's so discouraging for me as a pastor to see even what's out there supposed to be feeding and building up Christians. So I took a picture of some of the titles of some of these books. And, and, and look what's out there today, man. Can you hit the light real quick, Luke, so we can get there? And I, I'm like one of those people that want to go and kind of turn it back. I don't do that. I wouldn't do that. <clears throat> but look, you know, this is you be you. Jamie Ivey, I, I really, and I read the inside covers. I haven't read the books, I confess, but the covers and, and what's given, and it is very um, discouraging to say the least. You know, of course, you are stronger than you think. The pursuit of what, Portia, yeah, the pursuit of Portia. This is in the Christian section. A couple more titles, Kathy Lee, The Jesus I Know, okay, that's... Uh, of course, Jim Baker, those of us who are a little bit older, you remember Jim, he's back and, you know, uh, you can make it, uh, win, win the day. They, these are kind of, they're like almost self-help. I'm serious. These are like glorified self-help books. You put a Christian spin on them. This is what we're inundated with. And just an example of what's, this is how it was in Malachi's day. It wasn't a true um, seriousness about following the Lord. Now, again, I'm not doing this 
to, to act, oh, we have it all, because we certainly don't have it all. But look at some of the titles we have, and you can thank Tony for this especially. Uh, why aren't we reading The Doctrine of Repentance by Thomas Watson? Okay, we don't want to read that. We want to, you can make it, you know, pursuing portion. Why aren't we reading The Mortification of Sin by John Owen? That's, that's tough. That, that's hard to hit. Or The Sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink. These are books that we ought to be, you know, eating up and indulging in and reading. And yet we're living in a time where there's just so much watered down Christianity. A lot of professing Christians, all right? Happy in, in certain ways, but but they're devoid. They're, they're always coming to a knowledge of the truth, but never truly getting there. These are crazy times we're living in. Trusted pastors, even from a few years ago, pastors that we've trusted, teachers, leaders of seminaries and denominations, and a whole lot of people in the pews have drifted, and they have embraced the world. So it's then, like then, it's happening now. This is what it was like in Malachi's time. Different little bit in application, but the same spirit was there. We find ourselves in that place. There's a huge group of Christians. I'm putting the quotes around it, professing Christians. But within that group, you have those who feared the Lord. And that is by God's grace. Again, we have nothing to boast in. We're not boasting in any way. And we pray for professing Christians, brothers and sisters, seemingly, for those who are professing Christ, that they would truly come to know Christ, that he would truly reveal himself to them. So it's with all humility we bring that out. And we know, by God's grace, there is that faithful few, relatively faithful few. There beyond, there'll be you know, countless numbers in heaven with the Lord, but relatively speaking, there's the faithful few. It's always that way. It's, it's the broad road versus the narrow path, right? It's, the, it's John chapter 6. Remember, everybody was following Jesus. They came to find him, but after he was done speaking the truth to them, what did they do? You need, to, you need to eat my body and drink my blood, and you need to count the cost, leave everything and follow me. What did most of them do, we're told in John? They walked away. So there were relatively few left. And what did he say to the few that were left? Do you want to go? Do you want to go too? But praise God, by God's grace, Peter said, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we know that you are the Lord. Amen, and praise God. Noah and his family, relatively few. Israel, the Israelites who entered into the promised land. The kings in Israel, when we read, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. How many were faithful? Relatively few were faithful to the Lord. So there's that that faithful remnant that the Lord keeps. And what marks them out? What marks the faithful remnant out? And you need to examine yourself in regards to this, because there are a lot of professing Christians, and then there are those who truly know and love Jesus Christ by the grace of God. So a couple characteristics that mark them out. Two big ones that are here in our text. Those, number one, is verse 16, the beginning of that verse, then those who feared the Lord. That's number one. We'll stop right there. Those who fear the Lord. Do you fear the Lord? Are you trusting in Christ? The truly converted, if you're truly converted, listen, man, you have received a glimpse of God's glory, haven't you? You know what it means. You know what you were before Christ. You know who you are in Christ. You have seen as such uh, a glimpse of his glory. And when you understand that, you are just so overwhelmed when you know the majesty, the holiness, the righteousness, the justice of God. 
in comparison to who you are, that, that, that sin, your own sinful unworthiness. What does that do for us? That drives us to our knees and say, Lord, I'm just like with Isaiah and Isaiah 6, 5 in the temple, he said, woe is me for I am lost. That's our response to his holiness, his majesty, because we know who we are inside and how can he place his love on us? That, that's the fear of the Lord. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people, people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's what it does. That's what the fear of the Lord does uh, with Peter as well after fishing and the Lord fills up the nets. Luke 5, 7, and 8, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both boats so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, what did he do? He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's the only proper response to the majesty, holiness, and the love of God. And that, in essence, is the fear of God. It's not like, oh, I'm afraid of God. I don't want to you know, upset him because of what he might do. No, it's like just overwhelmed by his glory and his love that it just drives you to, to your knees and 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 seeking to, that, that, that fear of the Lord is that you love him so much. Do you love him so much that you want to please him so badly that, that you don't want to disappoint him? Not that he would be disappointed in you if you're chosen in Christ. And that's another amazing sermon in and of itself, just that thought and, and thinking about that. But when you love someone, you just, you want to please them because you love them so much. That's really kind, kind of the fear of the Lord. Your desire is to please, to honor, to obey. He is your, your greatest allegiance is to him more than anybody else, more than your own flesh, more than your own loved ones. Your allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ more than anybody or anything else. Esteeming him, exalting his name. You fear him when you love what he loves and you hate what he hates. So often, is, is, we, we kind of, we don't love necessarily what he loves. It's, oh, it's kind of harsh and, and we kind of love what he hates at times. And we can't, if we're truly fearing the Lord and loving him, then yes, Lord, I do love what you love and I want to walk in obedience and I do hate that. Even if my flesh wants to go after that, I hate it because you hate it and you don't love it. And I love you enough. That's the fear of the Lord. Giving yourself completely to him, no matter the cost to you. Amen? That's, that's the fear of the Lord. They feared the Lord. This was this remnant. Again, not in and of themselves, but by the grace of God. They feared the Lord. And they loved him. And they saw what was going on around them. And they stood fast. And they stood strong. And they didn't capitulate. They didn't compromise. And they didn't give in. But they feared him. And he knew it. It just, it's just to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Amen. It's the, it's the essence of the first commandment, the, first, the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's number one. That's the first characteristic. Number two, real quick, is they have fellowship with one another. And this kind of embodies the second half of the great commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself in that way. Look at the second half of verse, verse 16, 16b. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. We're going to stop right there. They spoke with one another. That's a beautiful indication of fellowship in the Lord. This is the remnant that they, they spoke to one another. They were together in the Lord. They were encouraging and building up each other. 
When we together come around the Lord in our conversations, that's the idea here. And that's what the faithful remnant was doing. They weren't talking about everything else going on or the latest plan or the latest fad that's coming into the church or this way we could build a church or do this or do that. They were talking about the Lord. They were, they were together. They spoke to one another. They were encouraging each other. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to be here. That's why we need to be in each other's lives. That's why we need to be building each other up. Because when we talk about the Lord and our conversation, there's nothing better than having a conversation about the Lord, isn't it? We talk about all kinds of things, even as believers. Um, and again, I'm not trying to sound pietistic. I don't want, to, I don't want that to come in because we could talk about other things, of course. But when you have a conversation about the Lord in the Word around Him, don't you just love it when you leave that, 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 that time? That, you know, that was so amazing. Because there's, it's there. That's, it means something. It has lasting value, man. And when we talk about the Lord and we're in his word, like they were, they were with, they spoke with one another about the Lord. They, we learn, we grow, we're encouraged, we're challenged, we're built up. It's worthwhile conversation. It's worthwhile praying together in that way, amen? That's what we do as Christians. There's nothing better than that when we're together. So many conversations are so shallow, even among Christians, and, and mundane, tiresome, you know, it's like sports, we talk about sports, and that's okay, the good games last night, and that's okay. there's a place for that, but that can't be, you know, for, and for some people, that's just like the end all, and they know every stat, and they know every player, and they know everything, man, it's like, how sad in some ways, it's good you have that knowledge, but it's like useless, it's worthless in the end, Right? Or in popular culture, everybody these days, or at least for the past few days, have been talking about the fresh prince of Bel Air slapping Chris Rock. And that's like everybody has their opinion on that. And wow, that's, and it's, there's really nothing there, right? But it's so people, oh, mundane, silly things that we preoccupy ourselves with. Now, of course, there's informative and important conversations and even some silly conversations. That's fine to a degree, but nothing, nothing is like being centered on God. They spoke to one another and they were speaking in the Lord and building each other up in him. Centered on God's majesty, on his glory, on his holiness, on his providence. That has lasting value. That has substance. That's what builds us up. When we have conversations about the Lord, we can go and check it out. We can go and apply that in our lives. We're mutually edified and built up. There's nothing better. They spoke, this remnant, they spoke to one another of the Lord. So it is Really, the, the embodiment or the essence of the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, to love your neighbors yourself. There's that mutual encouragement going on. And then there are things, and here's where the, uh, hopefully the encouragement really comes for us as Christians because it's maddening and it's sad and it's hard to see what is going on even in our world. Like I mentioned earlier, trusted pastors, people we love, people we listen to, people we learn from just a few years ago are off the reservation right now. And so it just kind of leaves us, Lord, you know, what's happened? So, so there's things that we can be sure of, no matter our situation, if we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. This passage, the Lord gives great assurance in the midst of the apostasy that's going on all around them. The people coming half-hearted, not really into the Lord. What do you mean we don't love you, God? What do you mean? And we're not honoring you. How are we doing this? You know, those questioning and this comeback, everything we've been going through in Malachi. 
So there are a few things, and we'll go through these um, rather quickly. First thing is, things that we could be sure of as a faithful remnant, as those who love the Lord truly, in the midst of those, surrounded by those who are professing Christians and not living up to our standard, to his standard. Number one, he pays attention. He knows, listen, listen to the word. Then those who fear the Lord spoke with one another and the Lord paid attention and he heard them. He pays it. It seems the words of praise, the things that we just talked about, the, 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 the words of trust, the word of concern, the cares are not lost on him. Even though it might seem to be in a day that's so tough, in a day that's so difficult, where you know, seemingly people are kind of really drifting away from the Lord. He hears his remnant. He hears his people. And his, our cares are not lost on him. Our concerns, our praise for him, do not fall on deaf ears. Amen? Praise God for that. Even those around us, those around us may be apostatizing and walking away. He hears us. And understand this. By way of contrast, he doesn't hear the unbelievers. He doesn't hear those with the big words and coming up that are just superficial, but their heart isn't changed. They're not truly trusting in Christ. We know this from the word of God. We're told in Jeremiah 14, 11 and 12, the Lord said to me, do not pray for the welfare of this people. Though they fast, they do the things. I will not hear their cry. He hears the faithful. He hears our words. He hears our prayers, and he answers according to his will. For those who are not, even though they go through the motions, even though they're doing the outward, he says, I will not hear their cry. And though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. And then also, uh, in Matthew 6, 7, and 8, Jesus said, and, and again, he's kind of speaking to the religious leaders who on the outward seemed very holy and righteous, but inward they were full of dead men's bones. He said, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. They think that they're going to be heard, but they're not going to be heard. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask. So here's the encouragement as we speak to the Lord, even in the difficult times, even when we find ourselves and kind of all around us, even maybe even amongst us in some ways, that apostasy, that could care less attitude towards God or just a, a real superficial kind of Christianity that's not deep. Don't be discouraged. Don't be disheartened. Don't be defeated. He is attentive. He hears. He will respond. So we remain hopeful and we don't lose heart. Amen? Praise God. That's an encouragement. Number two, he remembers and he will not forget our faithfulness to and our love for him. Again, this is all in one verse. Verse 16, now it's C. So those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention to them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who had feared the Lord. Amen and praise God. These people are in his book. It's not like the, not quite the, the book of life. Book of remembrance was a little bit different. But the idea behind this is permanence. Right? When you write something down, like our, our, when you carve something in, it's permanent. That's the because God obviously doesn't forget. He's omniscient. We know that. But for our sake, for our comfort, for our assurance, he says that your name is in the book of remembrance. It's permanent. You know, kings had a book containing like the good that people did. They kind of kept a record of, of especially if somebody did something good for them, then they would write it down. Um, there's an example of this, of this in Esther, remember, with, with Mordecai. So 
Uh, on that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And that's how everything changed with Mordecai. You know the story in Esther. So that's, that's that book of remembrance. And so the Lord is going to remember all the good that you've done for him. Right? Your name is, he remembers you, but that expands onto who you are and what you've done. Isn't that cool? Isn't it nice? Don't you love in a, in a nice way to be remembered? When somebody remembers something that you have done for them in the past and they bring it up, that's cool. Or don't you love remembering that somebody has done something for you? Like, man, that was such a kind gesture. I'll never forget that time that you did that for me. I remember when I was in high school. Uh, after high school, I ran into a girl I went to high school with, and, and she said, I'll, I'll never forget that day that you helped me. I said, like, what? What did I do? <laughs> She's like, her boyfriend at the time, of course, we were going to class and we were late. I was pretty much always late to class. So it was just her boyfriend, this girl, and then I'm coming down the hallway late as usual. And I just saw him knock her books out of her hand and all her papers went flying everywhere. All I did was went and helped her, picked up, the, picked up her papers and went along. But to her, that was something that she remembered after all those years. She said, I'll never forget that, that, that you helped me. I said, what did I even do, right? And you know, and we know people like that, people that have done something for us will say, I'll never forget that time that you called me or that you came. That's the book of remembrance. See, the Lord's not going to forget those things that you have done. Your faithfulness is not lost on him. Be encouraged by that. All the trials that you go through, all the difficulties that you face, all the loss that you incur, because you're being faithful to him, is not lost on him. And he remembers that. And that will not be forgotten by him. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. When did we do this, Lord? When you did it to the least of mine. Amen? The book of remembrance. Be encouraged by that. Don't be discouraged. But it gets even better for us as Christians. I'm going to take this a little bit farther. We'll go to the opposite end here, too. Not only does he remember our deeds, our goodness. He remembers us. He remembers our deeds. We're not forgotten. We're in the book of remembrance. But he also forgets. Amen? <laughs> not that he forgets, but in Jesus Christ, not only does he remember our name and our good deeds, but he does not remember our sin. Amen? That is grace upon grace. That's what we sang about this morning. Amen? He blots out our transgressions. He cancels the debt. We're told in Colossians 2 that you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside by nailing to the cross in Christ Jesus we're forgiven. Amen. He casts our sins. Psalm 103 tells us as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So he doesn't remember our sins, but our names are in his book of remembrance and, and how we faithfully served him. Hebrews 8.12, one more passage. For he will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. That is grace. That's amazing grace. And that's our God. So he goes on. It gets, it gets better. Um, the third thing that we could be sure of, and this is meant to be an encourage. It was meant to encourage these people. Because you know how discouraging Malachi has been up to this point. I mean, God's grace is always running through that. But man, every area of life, their worship, their marriages, um, they're, they're giving. Everything is, you know, the Lord, Lord is against. But, but, but to those who love him, he goes on. 
and says this in verse 17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my treasured possession, let's stop right there. Number three, something we could be sure of and hold on to is that we could be sure of his redeeming grace and everlasting and unconditional love towards us. Amen? Praise God. What a gift that we have in him. And this talks about both the kind of the corporate election that God has chose his people in Christ before the foundation of the world, but also in a personal way because he says, he says, they shall be mine. They corporately mine. We belong to him individually as well. Amen? Praise God. So he takes us from, from every corner of the earth, every different kind of background, and we're one in him. So it's corporate salvation. They are in personal mine. You belong to me. Each one of us belonging to him. Chosen, purchased, transformed, and sealed by his Holy Spirit. Amen and praise God. Be sure of that. These are the ones, that faithful remnant that look towards him. We belong to him and he'll never lose not one of us. Our names are written in his hand, even as we sang this morning. And he goes on to say that we're a treasured possession. It's like a real, it's not, this is, this is an actual, not like pumping you up sermon, like to feel good about yourself. This is for you to be humbled before the grace of God because he loves you so much. You're a treasured possession to him. You need to understand that. And I know we don't, this is unfathomable. It's so, so hard to believe all of this, that our sins are forgiven in him, that they're blotted out to be remembered no more. That's grace upon grace. Treasured possession what do you hold dear? Is there something that you just hold so dear? I don't know. It could be a trinket. It could be something in your life that you just hold so close to you. Something that you would never want to part with. And if you lost it, it would be so hard on you. Right? You would never want to part with, with this particular thing because it brings you great joy. There's great memories, great happiness, like utter delight in it. Just something like that that you, that you treasure in that way. To him, that's what you are. I know. It's like, what? No. Yes. Yes. You're a treasured possession. With that same love, that depth of love that never leaves, with that intensity of love, that love that he has for each one of us in Christ. And there are no second-class citizens in Christ. It doesn't matter. Like when we think about who, me? How can he love me? How can he treasure me? I know my heart. Even now, I know treasures you that treasure you're 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 so special to him in that way you're so dear in that way and he loves us he keeps us he guards us he protects us there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus judgment has been satisfied by Christ justice has been served his wrath has been satisfied and we are in him so when you feel pressured to, to, when you think you're being persuaded to kind of walk away or take it easy or let the guard down, lower the standard, don't, don't, don't. Don't give in, don't compromise, don't give up. But remember this, that you are a treasured possession. And it's amazing to think that. Do you realize, okay, so you might think of Peter. And I always come back to this because it still blows my mind. Peter, Paul, like who are we compared to them? They were the same. That same love that the Lord has for them, he has for you. No, he can't do that. There has to be gradation. It has to, he I'm not like that. Yes, you are. Yes, we are. And that's the amazing part of grace, that he loves you with the same intensity. 
and we're going to be all together, but it's going to be like he's focusing in on you and you're focusing in on him completely. It's, it's unfathomable. It's, it's amazing. You're a treasured possession. Amen? And that, that humbles us. I'm more humbled because I know what I am inside and he still loves me. So remember this. One more thing. One more thing. By way of encouragement, he says this. I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. We're living in a day and age where so many Christians want to mix in with the world. We're not even trying to be distinct in any way. We're trying to be liked by the world, accepted by the world. What are we doing? You know, if if they dye their hair blonde, we should dye our hair black. There should be a clear distinction and demarcation between darkness and light, between right and wrong, between... But, But we're so intent and so insecure and so wanting the world's approval that, that we continue. And you see this, even in the big denominations, we just capitulate to the world so they think we're cool, so they don't think we're hypocrites, so they don't think we're this or that. And we've got to stop thinking like that. We have to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. So you could be sure that there will be a difference in distinction. There must be. There has to be. Because there is. And when we're not manifesting that, then we need to question. We might be those just professing Christ because when we're truly following him, there is a difference both in the world and even in the church. So number one, in the world, we are salt and light as Christians. Amen? We serve that way. I am so tired of trying to fit in, of trying to gain the world's approval. Again, we don't want to be nasty and mean and that kind of thing and off-putting, but when we tell the truth and stand on the truth and the consequences come, then they come. That's it. We're not arrogant. We're not going to stand like that and pound, but we're going to be stand on the word and be faithful. And that's all you need to do to be disliked, to be, you know, put up. Can you imagine if we took, like, some of the things that people say, just like, hey, I believe in Jesus, and they're excoriated for that. You know, wow, how can you be so exclusive? If, can you imagine if they believe what we believe, especially as Reformed Christians? We talk about predestination on CNN. What would happen to us? You're nuts. We're going right to the nut house or jail. You really believe that? Huh? We're so tired of, of trying to gain the world's approval. We know what 1 John 2 tells us. We need to stop. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's what we do. We are in. We're not of the world. We need to stop trying to be of this world. We need to be relatable, but not phony, and not, not at the cost of, of listen, if, if, you, if people know that you love them with the love of Christ because they're image bearers of God and you respect them wherever they may be in their life, then you're going to have a hearing with them whether they listen to you or not. That's it. That's what they need to know. They need to know that you love them as image bearers, right? And they need to know that, that you respect them wherever they may be at that time. Not necessarily what they do or how they live, or while they're, but if they, if, again, they'll hear you. They might not listen or abide. They might even hate you, but they'll hear you. You understand? That's what it means. We don't try to trick them. Don't try to, like, I hate the bait-and-switch Christianity. We are who we are. We have to let them know that we're Christians. You know, don't hide that fact. Oh, we're going to invite you to this pool party, and you're going to come here, and we're going to hand these things out. And then you, like, kind of jump them with Christianity. Don't do that. 
we're Christians. Yeah, you want to come over for a pool party? We'll do that, but we'll talk about, you know, Christ in life. We have to be done with the bait and switch Christianity thing. That's, that, I don't know, it's kind of underhanded in some ways, I think, the gimmicks that we use. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. They need what we have. They need who we have. Amen? That's it. Why are we always on the defensive? Why are we always so afraid? Why are we always looking for approval? Why do we always have to compromise? They need what we have. I say that now, and then tomorrow I'll probably compromise. No. <laughs> Talk to somebody. Well, no. That's the world. But then also in the church. There's a distinction between true Christians and merely professing Christians. And this is a big deal. And this is the deal in Malachi's day as well. There are so many who profess Christ, even in the church, and yet they're devoid of anything Christian in their life. And they're devoid of the fruit of the Spirit. Where is it, man? This is what we need to be manifesting. He has changed us. So why aren't we manifesting that? Why are we our same old selves? Why are we so bitter, angry, hurtful, nasty, cheating, lying? What, why do we do that? We, look, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Galatians. If you want to turn with me, you may. Galatians 5, you know these. 5, th- this is what needs to be manifested. 5, 22 and 23. Here, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against this thing, there is no law. Why are, if you're professing Christ, if you say that you love Jesus Christ and you're mean, bitter, hateful, cheating, faithless, not spending time with the Lord, not spending time in the Word. What is that? You're, you're a Christian? Well, I know we all have our days and our times, obviously, but we need to be manifesting. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm okay with love, but I'm terrible with my patience. It's fruit. It's one. It's like these need to be manifested in our lives because He's working in us and bringing us out, right? We need to be submitting to that. It's not just, well, I'm good here, but not good there. I could be good over here if you're nice to me, but if you're not, I'm going to be terrible to you. That's not biblical. That's not fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit. It's one. It's like a thing of grapes, right? They, they, they all go together. They, they stand together. So many professing Christians just aren't serious about worship. It's a hassle. It's a pain. Don't even want to come. Don't want to be here. Go through the motions. Okay, this guy's already over his time. Let's go. Right? Not intent on obedience. You're not worried about obeying God. Is this pleasing to God what I'm doing? I know that I'm doing it when I'm doing it. I'm going to confess and repent. But even before I do it, am I asking myself, is this pleasing to the Lord? Is this honoring to God? A true Christian wants to obey even when we don't obey. right? And we're convicted by that. There are some professing Christians, they just live their lives, go on, hurtful, sinning all the way, not even caring about repentance, not even caring about contrition, not even caring about confessing, not even worrying about making it right, right? That's not. So, so there's going to be that difference even in the church, even among Christians in that way. Are you intent on serving, intent on sacrifice? Are you ready to stand up for the truth where it needs to be stood up, even against so-called brothers and sisters in Christ? That's a tough thing to do, but that's what's needed. We can't back down because we're standing on the word. We do it with all respect and, and in love, but we do it. We need to stand. We need to expose error. We're commanded to do that in the word of God. So even today, in our day, if you're a Christian, a professing Christian and saying, hey, well, I'm okay with CRT. I'm okay with critical race theory coming in the church. And there's some things in there we could borrow and learn from. That's a problem. 
because it's not biblical. And it takes us away from Scripture. If you're okay with so much of the LGBTQ stuff that's coming into the church, well, I'm side A, I'm side B, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. That's a problem among Christians because the Word is very clear on that. Right? If, it, if, if progressive Christianity is coming into our church and saying, look, man, I'm just going to deconstruct a little bit. I'm just going to question this, question that. You know, do we really need to know that the Old Testament is God's word? Can we really, you know, do we really need the OT? Can we unhitch ourselves from that and just concentrate on the New Testament and specifically on Jesus' resurrection? That's the most important thing. We can't do that. Because it's not biblical. And this is where the difference is. This is where it comes up. So just because these people were saying that they believed in God, they weren't. But there were those within who God has truly preserved, God has truly kept, God has truly transformed, that did stand. And those are the people that we're talking about. They feared the Lord, right? They feared the Lord, and they spoke to one another. And then they were encouraged by the Lord. And there will be a distinction. Is there a distinction with you? Can people tell that you're a Christian? Do they know? Are you willing to take the hits? Are you willing to be strong? Or do we give in so much? Do we make a joke? Do we laugh about it? No. We need to be calling to repentance and true faith and obedience. We don't melt in, but we stand in stark contrast. Now, this is tough stuff. I know it is. And yet it's who we're called to be and what we're called to do because we love the truth and we love the Lord more than anything or anyone else. Amen? The faithful few, again, that's not a boast. It's because he keeps us. We fear him. We have deep fellowship in him. We love each other with our faults, faults and all, right? Because we know who owns us, and we know that we're together in him. Half of us wouldn't even be friends. Most of you probably wouldn't even like me if, I wasn't, if we weren't all Christians. <laughs> this guy. I would never, if I wasn't a Christian, I don't know that I'd be hanging out with some of you, right? But he's put us together. Because his love transcends, his transformation transcends male, female, slave free, black, white. Call to repentance. We stand in stark contrast. We know that he pays attention to us. He does hear us so we don't lose heart. That he remembers our faithfulness and he doesn't forget. That we can be certain of his redeeming grace and everlasting unconditional love. And that there will be a difference, a real distinction, as we live our lives for our Savior and not for ourselves.